Happy Mother's Day. I'm so glad to see you here today. I want to talk with you today in our uh, next installment of the Out of the Grave message series about one of the dynamics that work in our culture that I think is just so unfortunate. And in fact, this dynamic is so broken that we as a church have to stand against it in the most dramatic ways. And like maybe has happened in your family in the past, when things are a little awry, it requires extra energy to bring them back to center. That's what happens. Sometimes in a family life, when calendar gets overly um, crowded and you can't do the things that you want to do, and consistently over a period of time, you aren't attending to the things that need attended, to correct that, sometimes you have to kind of pull out the scalpel, cut away the extraneous stuff so that you can focus very intently on the meal together again, on spending time together as a couple, on the date night, whatever it is. You gotta go overboard to bring it back to center. And so today I wanna talk with you about the grave of dishonor. I wanna talk to you about the value of honor on Mother's Day. So today in our church, we value all ladies. Specifically, we value mothers. But in our culture at large, this is a lesson that needs to be relearned. It's a thing in God's church that has to be valued deeply. You see this value of honor in the life of Jesus, which is where I want to start a story. From a day in the life of Jesus found in Mark chapter 6. If you want to turn there, you're welcome to. I don't have any verses for you. Um, I'm just going to tell you the story. But Mark chapter 6, verse 1 through 4. This is when Jesus has been doing ministry for about a year. And over that year or so, he's done a lot of incredible things. He's, he's turned water to wine. He's healed some people. He raised a dead girl uh, back to life. He even healed Peter's mother-in-law. Many scholars believe that it's at that very moment that the seeds were sown in Peter's life to where later he would deny Jesus. I'm not sure. That's a joke. Nobody. I just made that up. Um, But he did. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. And then he comes back to his hometown. And when he's at his hometown, the rumors had preceded him. He does incredible miracles. He can heal people. He can do stuff. But when he got to his hometown, here's what Mark chapter 6 tells us. That they began to have conversations in that little town where he was from. And it went like something, something like this. Wasn't, isn't this the guy who helped his dad build our kitchen table? What they said was, isn't this the carpenter's son? Don't we know his brothers and sisters, James uh, don't, don't we know them? Don't, don't we know who, who these people are? And the implication of those couple of verses is, is, who's this guy that he's so special? And what's interesting is the Bible says that in that place, at that time, because there was no honor, is what it says. A prophet is not without honor. A prophet has honor everywhere but his hometown. Because there was a lack of honor, here, here's what happened. The faith of those people was such that the Bible says, this is very rare in the New Testament, Jesus could do very few miracles. He could only heal a few sick people, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. There's a connection. I don't understand it all. It's not scientific. I don't have a formula for you. But there is a connection in this passage. Jesus made it, so it's not Ben's opinion. Jesus made it between the honor we have about spiritual things in this case, The faith that is connected somehow to that honor, it's mechanically connected, and then the impact on the people who do or don't have the honor. So something about honor impacts faith and impacts our lives. And I want to talk to you today about honor, and it's less about people who need honor, although we're going to talk a little bit about that. It's Mother's Day. You need to honor your mom, right? In our family, here's how it works. We tried for years to get this right. And uh, we would do nice things like the kids, and I would make breakfast. And, of course, Jill would have to come in and clean up the mess because we didn't know what we were doing very well. And, uh, and so, so years ago, here's what happened in our family. We started saying to Jill, you do whatever you want, and we'll just go along with it. So if you ask me today, what are we doing for Jill? I don't know. She's going to tell us after church. But here's the rule. Whatever she says, it's the greatest thing we've ever heard. So Jill likes to take hikes. I don't. So the last few years on Mother's Day, we've taken hikes. And it's the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. And the Lord forgives us for those little bits of 
falsehoods. All right, so, but I honor you today, Jill, and I'm so looking forward to whatever it is we're doing. All right, um, but there's something about honor that isn't just for the person who's going to receive the honor. This is the mistake we make. We think that honor somehow costs us to lend honor, to give honor, to verbalize honor. And it does to some extent. But what we don't think deeply about enough is, is that honor has a powerful impact on the person who gives the honor. Honor isn't just for the person receiving it. In fact, it's not even primarily for the person receiving it. Honor is for the person giving it. The Bible is full of honor passages. One of my favorite ones that's very applicable for today is Proverbs chapter 31. This is the chapter that's called the woman of noble character. That's the heading over the chapter. Proverbs 31. One of the greatest compliments you can give to a woman today is to say, you're a Proverbs 31 kind of woman, right? It just describes all these wonderful traits. It describes her heart, her actions, her impact. In fact, Proverbs 31, 31 on your message notes that you got on when you came in the door. You can go there. On the, I believe they're on the screen. I'm not sure. Proverbs 31, 31. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. So Proverbs 31, the last verse says, this woman of noble character, honor her for all that she's accomplished. But look, look at how it says to honor her. You don't just honor her privately. You don't just honor her in your heart. That, that would be good. But you honor her at the city gate, the public place where people are coming publicly on her, this woman of noble character. That's what it says. When you have people worthy of honor, it's worth publicly honoring them. That's the part we know. That's what comes natural and intuitive with honor. But it doesn't speak to what the Bible also speaks to, which is the impact the honorer versus the honoree has. There are other passages that do that more directly. Ephesians chapter 6. This is the one I believe that is actually in your message notes. It'd be good if I looked at it just to make sure. Yes, Ephesians 6, chapter, uh, verse 2 and 3. Here's what it says. Honor your father and mother. All right, so it's Mother's Day. We should honor our fathers and mothers. All right, which is the first commandment with the promise. Now, here, here we get to how the honorer begins to get benefited from this biblical value for disciples to be honoring. All right? It's the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. This is a New Testament repeat of an Old Testament commandment. Top 10 commandments, the 10 commandments. Number five, honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. This was a a promise given to the entire nation of Israel, this family that God was going to use to bless the earth. And the commandment says, you honor your parents. And when you do that, here's what's going to happen. As a group of people, as a community, you're going to thrive in this world. You're going to do well. You're going to have a long life. You're going to be blessed. And something happens, according to this promise, when you honor, there's an impact back to you. It doesn't get talked about today. This part doesn't get stressed. We know intuitively, sometimes it happens spontaneously because something dramatic is observed by us. Somebody does something special for us. They achieve a certain amount of status or notoriety. It's natural to bring a certain amount of honor out of us. And sometimes we're in relationships. We know we need to bring honor and we're aware of that somehow we, we have to make an investment of honor. But we don't talk about Honor actually comes back on us. This verse tells us that if you honor your parents, somehow it affects the quality and the longevity of your life and the impact of your life. This is why I wanted us to park a little bit here. It's Mother's Day. This verse speaks directly to it. But I wanted us to park a little bit here because I believe in our culture, at large, honor is at an all-time low. It's at an all-time low. I don't want to talk about it today because I think so much we need to have so much honor in the culture, in the church, in your family, although you might. I mean, there might be a few moms here today saying, hey, I'm really grateful for the day. Thank you. But, but the truth is, I wish we could just tick up a couple notches on honor in general. 
in our family. There, there might be a couple husbands here today saying, hey, I love the fact we're talking about this with moms, but the truth is, if I could be totally honest, wouldn't do it today because it's her day, right? But if I could be totally honest, I'd love to kind of just tick up the honor in our family towards the role I play. There might be a few bosses in the room that would say, look, here's the thing. I busted every day as best I can, and I know I'm not perfect, but I'm doing the best I can. And I just wish there were a little bit more general honor, value, worth attributed to what I bring to the team I serve. That's possible. And while that might be going on in some degree here, what I really hope you pick up on is the benefit that comes to you when you as a disciple of Jesus Christ make honoring a mark of your life. There is a benefit that comes to you as a disciple. On the simplest level, it is that you're obedient. I'm going to show you with a handful of verses that you're called as a disciple to be an honor giver. You are. Whether that comes natural or not, you're called to be an honor giver. All disciples are. So I guess you could say the people in the room that this doesn't apply to, although you might benefit from it, but it doesn't apply to you in the direct sense, is that if you're not a follower of Jesus in the room, okay, we're like we built a church with you in mind. Uh, we're glad you're here. You're really in the right place. We love you. We take you as you are. It's fine. But today's message is such that if you're a disciple, this is not negotiable. Disciples are called to be honor givers. So on the bare minimum, the benefit to you is you're an obedient, leaning in, leaning forward disciple. And that gets high marks, always. But the other benefit is, is that if you're an honor giver, it has a dramatic and immediate and long-term impact on your life, your legacy, and the people around you. Do you have friends, married couples in the room, single people who hope to be married one day? Do you have friends who are married, and when you're around them, like at a dinner, and then you leave, you think, man, they, they have a really great relationship. Like, they, they love each other. Do you have anybody like that? If you, if you do a little autopsy after the event on what it was that made you feel like they have a great relationship, I bet you you don't have to go far that the way they speak to each other and about each other in front of other people lets you know something about the quality of the kind of relationship they have with each other. And I bet you some of the adjectives you would use if that were true begin to sound an awful lot like they give honor and respect to one another. Let's play the other side of the coin. Do you have some couples that, like when you go out and you hang out with them or they're in a group with you, on the drive home, you just talk about it? Have you ever done that? Like, like you're not gossiping. You're just kind of like sharing uh, study notes after the fact. And you realize, man, if they make it, it's going to be a miracle. Like, and, and even if they stay married, you can tell that deep down they don't like each other. If you were to autopsy after the fact what's going on, a lot of it would be directly connected to the kind of ways that they talk about one another. How many times does she interrupt him? How many times does he correct her? What's the tone of the exchange? Right? Now, you can see that in some marriages. Some of you grew up in a home where honor was a low-functioning priority. Others of you grew up in a home where it was a high-functioning priority. In our culture, the one place I think consistently where honor is a value to its core is in the military. And they've tapped into this thing that honor is required for a group of people to function well, to get along minimally, but most of all, to get something important done. Honor has immediate impact on the quality of life. That, that's why throughout our Bible, we're told as disciples to honor. Here's one example, Romans chapter 12, one of my favorite chapters in all the Bible, verse 10. At this point, the apostle Paul who wrote to the church at Rome, he's unpacking what it means to be a person who gives their whole life over to following Jesus. So Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 is all about giving your whole life, which if you're a disciple who's been redeemed by Jesus, is only your reasonable service. I mean, the only reasonable thing you can do in light of the grace of God is to give your whole life. So in Romans chapter 1 and 12, verse 1 and 2, it's give your whole life. And then for the rest of the chapter, he unpacks implications of that. So in Romans 12, verse 10, he says, be devoted to one another. 
Those of you who have been redeemed, those of you that experienced grace, those of you that have been rescued, have been made alive again through Christ, be devoted to one another and then honor one another above yourselves. And this is hard to do. I want to make it a little more easy today by appealing to your selfishness just a little bit. I want to set up. I want to set a, a vision of what can happen to you and me if we get serious about being disciples who take our call as Jesus followers seriously to honor one another more than ourselves. Now, in the New Testament, the Greek word for honor is the word timos, timos. And uh, it literally translated from the Greek to the English means honor, but it has some nuance in it. It's to honor, it's to add value, it's to bring a weightiness to, it's to see and to discern the implicit value of a thing, timos. And then dishonor in the New Testament is ah, timos, atimos, right? Often in Greek language, the original language of the New Testament, if a word begins with the letter A, as we transliterate it into English, if it begins with an A, that's a negating A. So it's not honor, it's dishonor. And that means to not see the weight and the worth and the value implicit in a thing. So in Paul's writings, there are vessels of honor, meaning like in your kitchen, (laughs) There are vessels that you, in your house, there are vessels that you would use to eat out of. You would serve the best at a celebration, at Thanksgiving, at Christmas. It would be the best plates and dishes and tableware that you have. And then there are vessels of dishonor that would be used perhaps for everyday wear. Timos, atimos. These you're careful with. You, you take extra care if you put them in the dishwasher at all. You're very careful how you load them. You don't want to chip them. You don't want to mess them up because they have implicit value and worth. These over here, you know, you leave them set out in the sink for two days. It's no big deal, right? Or in our house, they're paper plates because we're done washing dishes anyway. And obviously, we don't love the earth. So um, that's what's going on, Right? Now, on your message notes, let me give you a couple working definitions then. To honor is to add weight and value to others. To dishonor is to subtract weight and value. So, so far, we're still talking about the impact on other people. But I want you to understand the foundation of honor for a disciple. I can't speak to the culture at large right now. I mean, I could, but I'd just be pontificating. But as a disciple, I can look to the scripture and to our theology about God and the world and people, and I can begin to deduce some things that inform why I might want to honor more than I do. So here's the first point. How God sees someone is the beginning point of honor, not how you see someone. How God sees someone is the beginning point of honor, not how you see someone. Now, let me tell you what God has this remarkable ability to do. God has this remarkable ability to see somebody as they really are. So he sees Ben, me, with my brokenness, um, with my challenges, with my proclivities towards sin, disobedience, and if not blatant, then just missing the mark and not fully engaging that all life reasonably devoted to God. He sees all of that. And at the same, and he's not mistaken, he doesn't have rose-colored glasses. He sees it as it is. But while he sees that, he he has this ability, while he's very aware of all of that, to see me as someone washed and clean and valuable and whole, capable, ready to be used, called to a higher purpose, On the one hand, he can see the worst about us and know it and at the same time see who we are meant to be. And he doesn't just see the differences and go, oh, this is that. He actually has a bent towards using his effort and energy to play to one side of that equation, to play to the I'm calling 
I'm loving first. I'm bringing value before you bring behavior changes. He's loving us while we are still sinning. That's about while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. He brought that value and worth to us while we didn't deserve it. This is the foundation for a disciple's honor. It doesn't translate to the world. It doesn't translate to your workplace necessarily. It doesn't translate among your group of friends who aren't followers of Jesus. But where there are followers of Jesus, the foundation of honor has nothing to do with their behavior, although it certainly makes it easier. It has nothing to do with the way they engage us, although, man, it makes it easier. It has nothing to do with whether or not they deserve it, but it is easier when they do. Honoring disciples, honoring people, all people made in the image of God, the imago Dei, the image of God, honoring all people flows not from how you see them, how you interact with them, but how God sees them and values them. And it, it's a simple, simple logical flow. If God, who has redeemed me, saw my brokenness and loved me anyway, if God, who knew all of my faults and failures, decided to proactively love, encourage, see my value and worth anyway, if that's him, and, it, and if as a result of that I've been changed, I've been brought to new life, I've been brought to a new way of being, I've been called out of darkness into light, if all that's true, then I have no choice but to trust the very God who saw me that way, that he's correct when he sees this person over here that way. Broken. So if I'm going through life and I'm very aware of this side of the equation, their brokenness, their dishonor, their commonness, their lowness, that happens in life. That's fine. That you're right. But as a disciple, we're called to not simply respond in that. We're called to be like Christ and how he views, values people. And to let our words, our actions, and our heart be soft to, towards them in the same way that God, through Christ, was soft towards us. Do you see the logic here? Now, if you haven't been redeemed, if the light of Christ has not shined upon you when you were walking in darkness, if he hasn't raised you to new life, if the power of the resurrection that raised Jesus from the dead has not brought life to your mortal body, then this, you're exempt. Now, I would still encourage you, though, to walk with honor because all things being equal, your life goes better for you. But as a disciple, you're called to see people the way God sees them. And I'm going to be 100% transparent with you. This is one of those messages that as I'm preparing it, I'm thinking, all right, Ben, you're doing okay, but you got a ways to go. That, that's how I'm hearing myself today. Uh, in fact, for the last couple of weeks, as I began to process what I, we were going to do today, it's like, I, I got some of this, I get some of this, but I got a ways to go here. I, I think our church could use a good shot in the arm of honor, not so much because we're blowing it, but because we're constantly bombarded with a culture who doesn't get it. They don't, people are not valued. People are commodities. They're to be used. They are to be leveraged for some other advantage. They're to be politicized and manipulated to some end. That is not the heart of God for his creation. It shows up historically in humanity. It places this dishonor in places like the Holocaust, where they're not really people, so it doesn't matter what you do to them. It shows up in the atrocity of abortion. They're not really people, so it doesn't matter what you do to them. It all comes back to, as disciples, will we value and honor people the way God designed them, made in his image? That's what it comes back to. And if we do, then that has a necessary implication on the way we treat them. It impacts the way we talk about politics. Can I? Half a second? All right. So a few years ago, there was a president in office that some people didn't like. And so the way they talked about the office and the man reflected a certain dishonor. And then the tides turned. And they got somebody in office they like. And now the people that were experiencing the disconnect here are doing the same things here 
And Christians get caught up in all of that. And so it's totally okay to talk politics and platform. Of course, of course, of course. Not here. But of course, of course you can do that. The problem is for disciples, we are called to honor that person as a father, that person as one made in the image of Christ, that person who is positionally the leader of the country, whether it's now or a handful of years ago. We all are. That doesn't mean you can't disagree. That's big level, right? Let's just talk about moms and dads for a minute. Do you know why your kids are called to honor? It's because not you need it, Dad. Although you do, you do. You, you absolutely do. And your work will be hindered if there isn't an appropriate honor in your home. But your kids have to honor you for them so that they learn in a home what it is to honor people who have positional authority over them. Simple matters of respect for authority. Because the Bible makes it clear to every disciple that authority comes from God. That people in the government are given their position, whether they know it or not, acknowledge it or not, or speak it or not. God, who is sovereign, allows and moves and works in those dynamics. So, on your message notes, then, honor is not for the person on the receiving end, but it's for the person on the giving end. What happens to a kid who grows up in a home that doesn't learn basic respect for authority? Well, I guess in many cases, not much happens. Certain that that's true occasionally. But there's enough anecdotal information out there, forget religion for just a moment, just go sociology. There's enough anecdotal information out there that says in a home where there aren't natural authority and boundaries reinforced in the life of that kid, that kid, forget the mom and dad who experienced it, forget that, that kid grows up without the necessary sense that they on occasion are going to have to bend their will for the good of others. And you stretch that out over a lifetime in a kid, and that kid doesn't fare well over time. Doesn't fare well. So it's not even for the dad or the mom. It's for the kid. And this is why the Bible tells us that God disciplines his children like a good father because of the chastisement brought to the child positively impacts the kid. And my kids are amazing. They really are. They're not perfect. And um, Jill and I have made it a point not to try to share embarrassing stories about our kids. And typically if I cross any kind of lines, I've asked for some type of implicit um, permission. But a few, some time ago, some time ago, I found myself in a conversation with a couple of my kids. And I was brokenhearted and disappointed because it happens on occasion. They're wonderful, but I really felt like we were in this moment where we had a, a spiritual opportunity. And this is one of those moments where I got it right. You know, I try to share a lot where I get it wrong. I got this one right. And man, my emotions were all over the place. And I was, there was some fear there because I was just in my mind, if I play this out, where does this go? Parents, you ever been there? And so I'm playing this out. In, in, the, in the early years when they would like mess up, um, let me tell you what I thought my role was. It was to point out their mess-ups so clearly so that, and build an, an airtight argument so that it was unavoidable that they had blown it. Now, there's still a place for some of that. But it seemed like that was the thing that really drove me. <laughs> I get that because I come from a strong, authoritative environment. I believe in structure. I wanted to do military. So a lot of that goes with my personality type. I'm an ENTJ, for those of you that are into Myers-Briggs. So it all fits my personality. But I began to notice as my kids got older, I wasn't getting the same compliance I used to get when they were younger. And so it put me on my knees, man. It humbled me that my old systems weren't working in our new reality as the kids were getting older. So here we are in the middle of this thing. And here's what I heard myself saying, and I believe this was the Spirit of God. I'm so glad to be your dad right now. You need me, and I'm glad to be here. And while I'm disappointed, we're going to get through this. And I believe in you, and this is not the end, 
We're going to manage this well, and I'm with you at every step of the way. I expect the behavior to change, but as far as I'm concerned, it's moving forward and looking positive. Now, I don't know if I can do that every time, but I saw something happen in their eyes at that moment. And there was less um, fear, embarrassment, and shame. But it was when I began to say these words, your future will not be marked by this. This is not a pattern that's going to continue. I'm going to help you. I have unique ability and perspective. I've been through some of this myself. And I'm going to get there with you because I believe in you. You could sense the weight of the room begin to lift. Can, Can I tell you something? You know who I learned that from? My heavenly father. And, and that's, that's the marking and the beginning point of this whole honor discussion. You've never laid eyes on a person that your heavenly father didn't have a heart for them just like that. So look at how Peter, who often got this wrong, talks about it in 1 Peter chapter 2. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men on Twitter and Facebook. It doesn't say that, but if I were writing the Bible today, it would. It says, live as free men. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Timos. Sometimes respect, sometimes honor. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. So the last few weeks, we've been going through a list of I am's, who you are in Christ. In fact, I'd like for the guys just to throw it up on the screen. I want you to read them with me one more time. And I want you, as you read them, to realize this is who you are in Christ. If you have bowed your knee, made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, this is who you are. If you haven't, this is your future if you want it to be. Would you say them with me? We'll begin with I am chosen. Ready? I am chosen. I am changed. I am a new creation. I am forgiven. I am blessed. I am victorious. I am set free. I am healed. I am free from condemnation. I am more than a conqueror. I am dead to sin. I am alive with Christ. I'm accepted in Christ. I am complete in Christ. By the way, this is not just you. It's every follower of Jesus, and it is potentially every human being. This is the foundation of honor. All these things about you. This is why parents, when you discipline your kids and you have positional authority, the Bible reminds us, fathers, don't exasperate your children. It's not about winning the moment, although you probably need to do that regularly. It's really about the long-term impact that your discipline brings to the benefit of your child. It's a mess. It can be crazy. But it begins with that child that you were fortunate enough to raise, moms and dads, as a person made in the image of God with redemptive potential. One day they will be servants in the kingdom of God, self-directing, hopefully spirit-led. When I remember that my children have implicit honor and dignity, it impacts everything I do with them. And when I think about my wife, who biblically is called by Bible, by explicit language, to honor me as her husband. It just is there. If you don't like it, take it up with Jesus in heaven, all right? But she is. But when I remember she too is made in the image of God, she has dignity and implicit worth, when I let that color and temper my engagements with her, guess what happens? It just goes better. For who? For her? Of course for her. But guess who else? For me. Can I tell you one of the biggest challenges? I'm going to meddle for just a second. All right, so I've talked about politics, abortion. I'm going to go one more. Here we go. One time a year, I'm going to get them all done. One of the challenges I have in our modern culture is that when it tries to help women be empowered, and they should be, is that it often empowers them in ways that are biblically, theologically, spiritually detrimental. I love the heart behind it. But the Bible speaks to disciples about this matter. And so for some women to feel empowered because of the culture's messages, they've got to kind of 
snap their fingers at their man and uh-uh, no you didn't and they got to put him in their place and if he's talking in public he has to be corrected regularly and they don't seem to value the fact that they're called to serve their families and their husbands. Now, husbands are called to love Christ. Yes, but women, when you honor your husband, it doesn't just help him. It softens your heart to see people the way God sees them. And that is the work of discipleship and your spiritual growth. So your disrespect to your husband isn't just one of those sins that you throw a little white out over because on occasionally you do something nice. No, it's having a dramatic impact on your heart. And it's showing up in other areas of life as well. And so you have a choice as a disciple. Do I believe the scripture? Do I trust the God who gave me his word as a map for my life? Or do I buy the lies of our culture that at best have to be filtered repeatedly? I would just say as a disciple, run towards the value and dignity implicit in every person. Husbands, your wife has dignity and value, so you serve her as Christ served the church, which means you don't stop. You love and you give, you celebrate. And ladies, wives, you use your words and your actions to build him up. This is the way of discipleship, and everything else is a counterfeit. So let's talk about three ways to honor, right? You honor by prioritizing, because honor goes first. You remember this. Some of you are old enough like me, 35 years old, to, you're about to go in a door. There's a group of people. You know what you do? You hold the door, because honor goes first. Of course, in our culture today, you do that, and somebody says, what? You think I'm not capable? No, you're very capable, clearly. All right? So, but honor goes first. By the way, this is a principle with relationships, but let me just show it to you biblically uh, from the message version. Here's what the Bible says about the principle of honoring going first. It says, honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best, the New International Version reads this way, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. In the Old Testament, and then again in the New Testament, the principle was, if I have 10 sheep, and in my old sacrificial system, I give the best, most perfect, first and best, and that's the one I would bring to the Lord and sacrifice for use in the temple. So all kinds of things happen, but don't get hung up on the money thing, it's the principle, all right? Because I know how that works, so here we go. I give God my first and best, and that's how I show him I honor the value and worth of what he's blessed me with. I show God that I am grateful that he saw me as I was, but honored who he made me to be. He loved me first in the middle of it. Before I changed anything, he did all the pre-work. All I had to do was walk through the door he was holding open. I honor that by giving him in return as a disciple, not only my whole life, but my whole life that on occasion looks like I have to look at people who are right where I was. Have you forgotten that you were there, Christians? Have you forgotten that you were dark and broken and dead in sin? So I honor where I was, but where I was brought to by treating people who sometimes are still there, and sometimes disciples who just act like they're still there on occasion. By the way, that's me on occasion. I honor them By saying, God, you did this for me, and so I'm going to give some of my best and some of my early work towards honoring those that you allow me to do life with. Because honor goes first. So today, when Jill says to our family, here's what you're going to do. Um, We're going to go to this place, we're going to do this thing, and y'all pray for us that we're not hiking because it's raining out. It's already a bad thing to do, and it's worse than the rain. But whatever it is, when she says, little hint, you know, I got the platform. Um, Whatever whatever it is we do, we're going to do it, and we're going to be glad to do it because she gets to go first today. But to some degree, it's my job to model that in front of my kids. I serve this woman because she is my wife, but because she's made in the image of God. And so honor goes first, which means on occasion, 
I remember we were in the Philippines once for a month, and uh, it was incredible. They have this Asian culture thing going on. It's kind of a blend of each meets west in the Philippines. But we were in line at a restaurant, and these older folks walked in, and they, there's a long line. And they just walked right to the front of the line, and, and everybody stopped, and they ordered. They got their food, and they left. And so we're progressing through the queue line, you know, get up to our thing. And then another older couple comes in. They go right to the front of the line. And so I'm looking around like, what the heck? Is, what? I could, is there some card? Is there something? And then I was told later by our, our host, no, no, no. In the Philippines, if you're older, you're honored. So you don't wait in line. So in the Philippines, if you, you just go to the front of the line, and everybody is glad, except visiting Americans, everybody is <laughs> glad for you to go and, because that's a position of honor and respect. Number two, you honor by praise. Honor has a language. Uh, look at James, chapter 3, the brother of Jesus. Look at what he says to the disciples here. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come cursings, or praise and cursings. My brothers, this should not be. Would you say that phrase with me? This should not be on three. One, two, three. This should not be. Yeah, honor has a language, and how you speak about things is a revelation of your heart. So some people say, I'm just not into words. I get that. Your words will be less. Some people are into words. I'm a words guy. My words are always more. You know that. That's why we go forever here on Sunday mornings, all right? So, but the Bible is clear. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. It will. So over time, I don't know all that's going on in your heart, but over time, if I never hear honor to the husband, I know over time that there's a deficit there. It's true. If I never hear honor to the teacher of the classroom, because, you know, when I taught, one of the reasons I don't teach anymore high school, I, I realized that no matter what went wrong in the classroom, it was always my fault. It wasn't the way I was raised, but that's the way it is now. So if I never hear honor to the teacher verbalized in front of the kids, if I don't do that, the problem is there's something in my heart that ultimately is going to harm my kids because what I teach them to honor is what I'm teaching them back to Jesus, what they can be receptive to. If they don't honor it and value it, it's hard for them to be receptive to what that person has to offer. That's the deal with Jesus in his hometown. So praise and honor go together. Well, it gets verbal. I'm not saying every day, but probably with some great regularity. Jill and I try our best to intentionally build each other up in front of the kids because too often at our worst, they've heard the others. And when we're with people, intentionally, we try to build each other up. We say good things about each other. And we ask each other, how are we doing on that? Because in our home, we want to honor each other. It's important for your kids to hear you praise the people that you want to have influence in their lives. It's why I say to people who are going through church situations, you can talk bad about your church. Just don't do it in front of your kids. Because what they'll hear is, is the people I'm going to church I'm supposed to receive from are no good. They don't get it. They don't understand. Whatever it is. All that's fine. It may even be true. But when your kids hear that, the next Sunday they go to church, there's just one click less receptivity. You're just better off to go find a new church. Of course, if you found a new one and they're doing the same things, it's not the church, it's you, all right? That would, by the way, that's the fourth medal and last of the day. I've meddled all I'm going to medal. All right, so here we go. Number three, you honor by protecting because honor shields from attack. Noah, who built the ark later in his life, who was a good man, made a bad mistake. He grew a vineyard, fine with that. He drank some wine. May have been okay with that. He drank too much. That was not good. And he took off his clothes because, as the Bible says, tequila will make your clothes come off. And so he was, he was doing something silly, and one of his sons walked in and goes and tells the other brothers, our dad, what an idiot. Look at him. How foolish. Don't know all that's going on. Something strange is happening. So the other two brothers grab a blanket, and they walk backwards to not look upon the shame and the we, the weakness of their father, and they covered him up. Because honor protects. 
No, I had no right to be doing that, but honor protects. Paul did some of this with the people he loved. He loved the church at Ephesus. He put Timothy in charge of the church at Ephesus, and he loved them. He honored them. They had his heart. More language about the church of Ephesus in the New Testament than any other church. It's in Acts. It's in the book of Ephesians. It's in Revelation. It's in First and Second Timothy. Here's what Paul says in Second Timothy. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his works. Watch out for him yourselves because he strongly opposed our words. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but everybody deserted me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the proclamation might be fully made through me and all the Gentiles may hear. So there was this conflict in this church and Paul calls it out. (laughs) But look at what he says about Alexander. Not get him, not defeat him. The Lord will handle him. So he's honoring the dignity of Alexander as a person made in the image of God. And then he's honoring and protecting the church by saying, don't listen to him. Don't listen to him because he'll do you, he did us harm. There needs to be a boundary here because his honor for this church is protective. This is what the dad has in his heart. You know, he wants to rise up against anything that comes against his kids. It's what I feel on occasion, you know, if, if my kids are in a conflict, I want to, you know, go beat up a kid and then I'm like going to be in prison and it's not going to be good. And so, but that, that desire to want to protect is, a, is an example of honor. But here, here's the final comment for us. The more I value something, the more I can value from it. Jesus could do no, nothing but a few miracles because they didn't honor him. It impacted the faith. The more I honor, the more I can benefit. So, kids, honor your moms today. Call her. Speak good about her, even if she wasn't perfect. Praise her. If people speak bad about her, protect her. Wives, protect, honor, praise your husbands. Husbands, protect, honor, praise your wives. Children, do that for your parents. And the Bible makes it clear that those of us who honor... A special blessing from God comes our way. Now, last comment. What if they don't deserve it? Can I be blunt with you? You don't either. According to the gospel, you had nothing worth redeeming. But God chose to see the value and worth he put in you anyway. And out of that is why we're supposed to honor people even when they don't deserve it. Why don't you grab out your Connect card? And let's uh, take a couple steps together as a congregation. So if you're our guest today, this is the way we take steps, how we just don't hear a message, but we try to put it into action. So next step A today says, hey, I want to make Jesus my Savior and Lord. So if you're not yet in a relationship with him, you can change that. The Bible says if you'll acknowledge that you're a sinner and trust the work that Jesus did on the cross and in his resurrection, you can have eternal life. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. So we'd ask you to take your pen and check next step A, and in a moment, put the card in the offering bucket as it comes by. Or next step B says, today I'm choosing to be baptized. So we have a baptism coming up in just that a month. It's going to be awesome. And uh, this is where we celebrate people being raised from death to life. And uh, we'd love to celebrate with you. If you have questions or want to get baptized, the way we start the process is you check the box, put the card in the offering bucket. Now next step C, here's the prayer I'm praying every morning this week. I'm going to invite you to do it with me. If you check it, put it in the offering bucket. We can read your email. I'll send it to you. Here's what it says. Father, today, help me to see myself and others the way you see us. Let my words and actions declare the honor you have placed in each person. So, as you're driving, honor and worth in each person. As you go to work, work on your team, honor and worth in each person. Next step, D says, please send me the link for the 4C Kids Camp. You have some information about that on your seat, some invite cards, you can share those. And then finally, next step E says, hey, send me the link for Grow 4. This is one of four experiences where we feed you a meal, teach you a little bit about the Bible. Specifically, we're going to help you reveal your personal mission here and get you started on being a servant in the kingdom of God in a direct and powerful way. Why don't you set that aside? If you call this church home, I want to give you an opportunity to give back a portion to God what he has blessed you with. If you're our guest, you don't have to participate here. This is for those of us who value this place, believe in its mission, and uh, are thrilled that we get to be a part of it. So uh, we're setting up for this kids camp, and all week there's been a flurry of activity. People have been coming in and 
building props and sets. So in a couple weeks, this stage will be transformed. Um, they're putting a city scene up. We're going to have kids in here, do some cool things with their parents as well. But as the volunteers are serving and they're working, I was impressed with a couple things. One is this church believes in the next generation. The proof is, is we have volunteers who are busy, who carve out time to do important things so the gospel can be driven far into the heart of a child. But the other thing is I thought we value the next generation because these people here at this church, even when they don't have kids, they give. And so we're paying for this event for our community because at Christmas you went above and beyond your normal giving and gave a bunch of money to help pay for this and other events in kids' ministry. So I just walked through the warehouse while the saws were blaring and the uh, nail guns were being punched into the wood. I just walked through and whispered a prayer and said, Father, thank you that our church believes in the next generation. Thank you. Thank you for their hearts to serve and their generosity. And I wanted you to hear me say it as well directly to you. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray about our offering and our next steps right now. Father, you're a good God. And you loved us. Lord, you loved us when we were unlovable. You saw value and worth when nobody did. Lord, even when we, when we have d- doubted ourselves, when our own hearts have turned against us, you declare over us life, purpose, meaning, value. I'm so grateful. God, I pray that all the disciples in this room, those watching online, would take steps towards more aggressive and visible honor. That we'd remember that you lifted us up and you have called us to give lift to others. I pray, Father, that this would happen today for moms, for ladies. I pray it would happen in families. I pray it would happen in our church. Father, I lift up the men and women right now who are declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. I can't save myself, so I trust the work you did on the cross and in your resurrection as the only vehicle by which I might be saved. I trust in that alone. And Lord, would you take our next steps in our offering and cause them to go far and wide for your glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray, the strong and holy Son of God. Amen and amen.